Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about this week's UFC event going down in San Diego, California. UFC Fight Night, Vera versus Cruz. Headlined by a bantamweight top contender bout uh, between Marlon Vera and Dominic Cruz. We're talking about the prelims right now, though, which are, um, you know, there's, there's a few fights I, I on them that I'm interested in. I don't hate them. There's certainly some fighters I'm very interested in seeing on the prelims, but it is it's not the most thrilling card ever put together. So, you know, it, it, it's je- definitely a hodgepodge of mm-hmm. um, just fighters. Look, is it is it one of those cards where we're, now that we've uh, we've reached the worst part of it, the prelims that I'm I, I, I've kind of warmed to it, having like broken it down and discussed it? Yes. Yeah. But that's not special, Zane. No, it's not. That happens all the damn time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm a nerd. Like, the more I learn about something, the more I like it, irrespective of what it is. Mm hmm. And, um. Why you're so into Nazi memorabilia now? Yeah. Well, not just the memorabilia. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know? Uh, Give a mouse a cookie, as they say. And, and it'll eat for the rest of its life. Mouse spelled M A U S. Okay, okay, okay. You know what? <laughs> the joke was bad when I made it. <laughs> it's only getting worse. Yeah, <laughs> give a mouse a kexen. Okay, no, um, no okay. that's German for cookie. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's uh, it's not as bad as I think I would have thought if I had if I didn't have to look at it for a job. The main event is awesome. It's got a couple other interesting fights. The ones that don't immediately scream interesting are they're by and large okay, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, like the the, the heavyweight fight we're about to talk about, Lucas Brzezinski, Martin mm-hmm. Boudet. It's that's, a terrible fight. It's that's too... Wukash, by the Wukash. way. Wukash. Wukash. The Brzezinski. most frustrating Polish name, Wukash. And it's also, now that I think about it, probably Wukash Brzezinski. Breski tends to get yeah 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 dropped. So Wukash Breski and Martin Bude, um, it's a bad fight. It is a very regional. It's the kind of fight that would headline a very low-level regional organization. Like, why is this the featured prelim? Um. Because it's heavyweights, yeah. yeah. Like, why isn't like Odie Osborne, Tyson Nam, or Angela Hill Godinez that that should be the feature prelim? But I am re- I am slightly interested to see if either of these dudes can develop like a functional MMA game. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. So that's a lot of what this undercard is. Like Gabriel Benitez, Charlie Ontiveros is just a weird. Yeah. Not at all. Like, I don't know why this fight was made. I'm happy that Benitez still has a job because we like Mogli Benitez. He's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But things have not been going his way. And Charlie Ontiveros is a meme fighter. Um, yeah. But meme fighters are fun. Like, 
every char every the the two fights that Charlie Andaveros has had in the UFC have been a oh, yeah. whole lot of fun. Yeah, there will be blood. So I can't pretend I'm not interested in that. And then you know, on Osborne Nam is a good fight. It's just an interesting fight. Mm-hmm. Bill Godinez is a pretty good fight, and like the rest of it's fine. So it's just one of those things where yeah, it could be worse. as as nerds who are getting into something, diving into something, there is stuff to grab on here. Yeah. But if you missed the entire card, you would not you would not walk walk in tomorrow with anything new in the UFC for you to learn. No. About. No, there's 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 no uh, no threat of, of of FOMO with this card. Yeah, it absolutely. happens. It's gone. If you didn't even hear about it, you you'll be you know none the wiser. It's it's like last week's tough finale card. It was actually a pretty awesome card for result, like watching it. Yeah. But not one thing, including the tough finales. Yeah. Actually mattered at all. I did the. I'm just gonna do a little shout out to myself because I somebody got really pissy at me online because that's what people do it's the internet so it's there for don't talk um, about me while i'm right here yeah somebody got mad at me for making the point that like man it must be kind of a slap in the face for brian battle to be preliming the next season's tough mm-hmm. like the last season's tough winner is can't even make it to the main card of the next season's tough finale despite having only one fight since then yeah um and so I went and looked, and in the last seven years and 12 tough winners, not including the most recent two, but going all the way back to when Kamaru Usman won tough, their tough winners have only appeared on UFC main cards outside of tough finales nine times. Mm-hmm. That include, and that Brian Hall has never been on a UFC main card. <laughs> like you, you know Nico Montano never got to be on a UFC main card after tough finale yeah the bulk of it is made up by Tim Elliott and um mm-hmm. Andrew Hernandez or no Andrew Sanchez yeah each being on main cards like three times because they've been they, they had like 12 fights in the UFC now mm-hmm. and for Sanchez that's mostly because he's big <laughs> yeah <laughs> if he was, you know, exactly. his level of competition. If it was in, uh, if it was at uh, featherweight, he'd be on the prelims every time. Yeah. And so, last week's card, really fun to watch. Absolutely inconsequential. Yes. This week's card, very similar. Yeah. That said, let's talk about this uh, Wukash Breski versus Martin Bude fight. Yeah, they they both do seem to have some potential. They're six foot four and they're, they're tough. They're huge. Um, that's and they're like durable. The two, the two heavyweight requirements. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and um, Breski, Breski. Um, I'm assuming it's a regular S because the 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 yeah. SZ is the thing I think that makes the yeah. sound and whoosh. Yeah. Um, you know, he's got a wrestling game. Yeah. That's a nice I thing do. to see at heavyweight. Not yeah. very good. No, it's it's a very much it, it's a trip. It, it's a cl- it's a clinch and trip wrestling game. Well, you know, he hits single legs on people, yeah. and he's got a variety of takedowns. Just that the form is not is questionable. So yeah, there's a level at which it's going to stop working just because people have a, a a modicum of wrestling defense. Mm-hmm. So far uh, at his level, he's kind of been able to take everyone down. 
Yeah. But um, it's pretty low level so far. It's a pretty low level. I don't think that's going to work against Boudet. Boudet is a very big boy. He's very big. He's stockier. Despite mm-hmm. that, like he's just got a looks like he's got a much like lower center of gravity, yeah. Than uh, than Bresky, and um, is yeah very very comfortable when it like gets to clinches in finding little little strikes and he's he's just way more natural on the feet than mm-hmm. Bresky, and I think that's probably going to be enough to to stuff takedowns and just land clean shots on a far more awkward striker. Yeah, so I think but, I'm gonna think, take I'm gonna take Michael Bisping's favorite fighter, Martin Bude. Oh Lord. That's how he says buddy. I know it's how he says buddy. <laughs> I know that. I, I don't I don't like it, but I know it. I don't like that I know it, really. <laughs> um come on, Bude. <laughs> Bude. Bude. <laughs> I'm trying to get that northern accent. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I mostly have to agree. The big thing for me with uh, Bresky is that on his tough fight, when he, you know, was facing Dylan Potter, pretty mediocre, had a chin, that's about it. Yeah. He got absolutely gassed out almost yeah. immediately. And I, I mean, he's been to some several decisions, so I know, and he even, he won that fight in the third round. So I know that there's still a lot of tenacity there in him to fight on while tired. Yeah. But it really was like 30 seconds of whirlwind and then four and a half minutes of like, wow, you have notably, you are notably slower than you started this fight. Yeah. And then the whole rest of the fight in a slow just grinding slower and slower and slower where his determination won out for him and watching his fights on the regional scene where he's getting takedowns and stuff like that. It really seems kind of like the thing where he has to be able to grind his opponent to a stop. Right. Or he is going to be shooting his own gas tank. Absolutely. And Bude doesn't have that problem. That has been the notable thing with him over his career is like, he his style is ugly. It is brutish. It is barely functional MMA. But if he can, if he just leans on you in the clinch, he will suck the life out of you. Mm-hmm. It he, is. He's stone cold consistent. Certainly, he is a golem out there. <laughs> like he's just absolutely draining and big and it really came across in that fight he had with uh chris barnett where he just trapped him on the cage yeah and just wore the life out of him and i think given they're both six foot four but boudet cuts to 265 yeah given that i think he can just have that kind of fight with bresky where he'll just walk into the clinch he'll get hit a bunch doing it but if he's got he's he's the one who's never been knocked out between them bresky has been mm-hmm. if he's if his head can just be absolutely made of cement then he can lean up on him and tire him out and just make this the kind of fight that he's won over his career which is just making dudes tired and making them quit so 
Yeah, I'll take Boudet as well. Um, Sounds like a blast to watch. Oh, yeah, it'll be ugly as hell. But like I said, it's just there's an interest to it because they are both they're both big enough and they both seem durable enough that I'm interested to see if they can bring anything else along with them, you know? Yeah, they've got the necessary foundation to have enough, to have potential. Can one of these men become the next Ben Rothwell? That's right. That's what I want to know. All right. Uh, odds on the bout. Boudet opened at minus 200, is now down to minus 276. Bresky opened at plus 170 and is currently up at plus 218. That seems wide to me. I mean, for Boudet, like, with, with an opponent in there who's also 6'4", like, so much of Boudet's style, too, is based on him just being able to trap people and lean on them because he's bigger. Yeah, I mean, and, and the fact that it worked on Lorenzo Hood, who's also a pretty huge heavyweight, suggests it'll work for him here. But if Bresky can just keep finding little bursts of energy and like dirty boxing in the clinch and circle away over and over again, Boudet will just have to wade in defensively void over yeah. and over again. But that, that's it. where it matters: a that he's he's just got better conditioning, yeah, and that he's just a more natural, powerful striker too. Yeah, I think so, I think he can he can handle the fight if it gets the wrong kind of ugly for him. Yeah, in a way that I, I just don't really see any clear path to victory for Bresky. Yeah, just could be an it could end up being a real ugly slog. Yeah. All right, that brings us to a lightweight bout: Gabriel Benitez, Charlie Ontiveros, and. Um, yeah, this fight is a damn mess. Oh, yeah. This this fight is just a goddamn mess. Charlie oh, how, Ontiveros. The, how the Mowgli have fallen. Yeah. Oh. When you say it like that, it sounds cute, and then I feel sad, and I feel bad for thinking <laughs> it's cute. How do you think I feel? This is yeah. one of my favorite fighters right here. Yeah, it's just not it's been, clicking for him anymore. Yeah, I mean, he's... I think, you know, it's probably partially, like... Maybe a microsecond of speed has gone off of Benitez's game. Yeah, and he was a very speed-dependent fighter. Yes, he was always it's very clinical, very predictable. You know exactly what kind of very standard kickboxing setups Mogli Benitez is going to bring to the table, but it's going to be really fast, and he's going to hit really hard, and you have to be able to keep up with him. Mm-hmm. And more and more, even fighters that aren't as fast as him and aren't nearly as clean as him are just being able to predict what what he's doing and where he's going and just charge in and catch him, you know? And a lot of that, too, is that there's really a predictability more than anything to the way Benitez resets. Mm. He's a fighter who wants to step in on a combo and then step back out and reset. Mm-hmm. And every time, like just in that Onama fight, you know, you watch like the first minute of that, and you're like, man, Benitez is just crushing him with low kicks, nailing him with one twos and with hooks and like digging to the body and just looks, you know, absolutely powerful and on point. 
But Onama just keeps walking through and throwing a couple shots as Benita steps out and tries to reset and catches him hard. And it happens over and over and over again to the point that Benita starts getting hurt. And it, yeah. I, I mean, I guess you'd say it's it's very, the end result is very Edson Barboza-like. Mm. Where yeah. there's just a predictability, a predictable reset. And it's been a problem for Barboza's game as well, where it's just like, man, people who can just, who are willing to take the damage and wade in, always find him waiting right there, mm-hmm. a step away, trying to recollect and figure out what combo he wants to throw next. Now, let's be clear. We're, we're putting way more thought into I mean, this this analysis is taking place on a plane that I don't think Charlie Ontiveros even has access to. Yeah. Charlie Ontiveros is not going to be considering these things. He's going to fight the way he fights literally every time. He's going to come out. He's going to throw seven axe kicks. He's going to throw four wild hooks behind those axe kicks, and everything is going to come lightning fast. Oh, yeah. And really weird. With a sort but, of... Violent desperation. Yes. Kill, kill, kill. Yeah. (laughs) Absolute desperation and a speed that becomes very easy to pick up on. Yeah. Even after just like 30 seconds. Yes. Where you're just like, wow, my God, this is fast and weird. And okay, now I get it. Oh, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Frenzied is maybe the word for the Charlie Antiveros fights. And I hope to God that Mogli Benita still has it in him to, to handle that. Oh, this would be the fact that, that this is even a question. It would be easily the most depressing loss for Benitez yet. Yeah, easily. Because because Ontiveros, there's the widest gulf here between like consistency of skill and danger of any Benitez opponent yet that like. He he is he the fact that he's so dangerous is very troubling. Yeah. He is a killer be killed fighter, and unfortunately Benitez has kind of fallen into the same place while still looking like a much better technician and and a much smarter fighter. Yeah. And yeah, I mean they both are in a place where it's kind of like they come out guns blazing the opponents are just like, Oh wait, no, I, I get the timing now and I mm-hmm. get what to do and I'll just walk in and do it over and over again until it works. Mm-hmm. But the, I think the big difference is for Ontiveros, like there are places you can take him where the fight just is gone for him. Yeah. I was going to say that too, that Benitez will grapple with people and will clinch with people um, at times. And uh, it's not usually his a game, but it's not, wouldn't be the only time that he's like, tried to guillotine somebody or taken someone down in the clinch. And there, there are avenues where if things start to go disastrously wrong, where Benitez can actually, he's a, he's a very resourceful fighter, even when things are going wrong. And Ontiveros is not. Yeah. He, he runs out of ideas. He, he has the one idea, you know, he runs out yeah. of it very quickly. <laughs> um, yeah. I'll take Benitez, but me too. This, this is going to, it's just going to be a, a thing where like, Will one of these fighters get badly enough surprised right out of the gate to get put away instantly? Right. And then otherwise, who adjusts first? Yeah, it's especially the fact that Benitez just got instantaneously dropped by Billy Quarantillo. Like, yeah. That is exactly the kind of thing that Ontiveros could replicate and might not even need a follow up. He's definitely a powerful puncher. Yeah. He throws his whole body into everything. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I think either he catches him cold or we have a fight that is much uglier than Benitez would like it to be, in which 
yeah, this probably isn't the level of that kind of fight or Benitez loses, but it is also the, that's the kind of fight he has tended to lose the longer it goes on. It's, it's just that Ontiveros does not win late. He doesn't come back. He's, he is such a front runner. Yeah. Um, way more so than Benitez that yep. you, you still got to favor the old dog. Yep. That's pretty much it. So we're picking Benitez, but man, you know, it, it sucks to, to see fighters that we both like have been rooting for as underdogs forever, just sort of lose that extra step where you're like, man, I don't know how many more fights that there are out there that you can win. Mm-hmm. At least not at a reasonable level. And hopefully Ontiveros isn't that level yet. Benitez opened at minus 260. is currently down at minus 353. Ontiveros opened at plus 220. Currently up at plus 271. Fight doesn't go to decision. Is minus 350 or minus 400. Under one and a half rounds is even minus two, about minus 250, minus 230 or so. And Ontiveros by KO is plus 475. Benitez by KO is minus 135. So, I don't know. Definitely just feels like a fight where you know somebody's getting knocked out. Mm -hmm. All right. That brings us to a flyweight bout. Ode Osborne, Tyson Nam. And uh, this is an interesting fight. I this, like this. This fight is a lot. another one. Yeah, the more I've looked at it, the more interested I've become. This is a this is a good style dynamic. Because mm-hmm. um, Osborne is all speed, and that's kind of it. Like he's just kind of all speed. Yeah, I he's, mean, there's 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 craft there. He has a lot of there. yeah, a lot of cool ideas, but it's it's um. It it's a craft in the absence of, of really great technique. Like Yeah. That the the he's he's quick enough to 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 to, to find um a lot of cool ideas, specifically on the counter. I mean the counter right hook he hit with uh, uh with was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um he lands those kinds of shots on everybody and it's he's not a one trick pony, but all of his tricks sort of contain the same technical flaws that like his chin is way up in the air um that he's extremely hittable while countering and And he's also he's he fights from like seven feet away and it's always just sort of select an entry and if you if the opponent you know it's like it's like one of the one of those games it's like rock paper scissors practically where it's yeah. just like if the opponent picks the right the right answer to the entry that Ode Osborne has selected, yeah, yeah, they're gonna hit him really hard. Yeah, that's that's the same kind of thing. Like it, it, there's, you know, it's it, can can I can I trick you? Can I surprise you by doing it quickly and just like gambling that you don't, yeah, predict when I'm coming in? But sort of the same answers can meet a lot of these entries. Yeah, it's the same yeah. counter as long as the timing is right. You, he's gonna be there to be hit. Mm-hmm. And um, for that reason, I got to favor Tyson Nam because I think you're most susceptible to being surprised by Osborne if you're recklessly leading mm-hmm. and he can counter you. And that isn't Tyson Nam's problem. No. 
he's a very methodical pressuring counter puncher at, at, at his best. And so he's, he's going to sort of follow Osborne around. There's probably going to be long stretches of this fight where it looks like Osborne is just, doesn't just look like where Osborne is essentially outmaneuvering him. Yeah. Um, probably racking up lots of little jabs and stuff like that. Kicking him. Kicking him for sure. But Nam is going to be relentlessly pursuing him and waiting for, uh, not even waiting, I mean, drawing out those bad entries and also yeah. f- forcing Osborne to try to strike just to keep him off. And these are the moments when if you're vulnerable in an exchange, Tyson Am is going to pick up on those openings and is a very sharp counterpuncher and really sharp in trades. So I got I think it's going to be fun as long as it lasts. It's going to be a really interesting sort of battle of Osborne having to stay away and trying to catch Nam out. But uh, Nam is going to, uh, I think he might... I don't know. It's not like Osborne gets knocked out all the time. But yeah, that's right. He's only got the one, and Manal Kopp is a much more diverse threat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super dynamic. But also, Tyson M knocks out a lot of good fighters. Like he, He's got a super limited style, so when it doesn't work, he can look like he has no ideas at all. Yeah. But even in those fights, like I'm always going to remember his fight with um, Ali Bagotinov. Mm-hmm. It was like not going that well for much of it. And he just finds him at the very end. A second left in the third round knocks yeah. him out. He's a uh, he's a, a a constant knockout threat, literally for the entirety of the fight. So yeah, the fact that Osborne doesn't get knocked out that often though is why I'm going to pick him. Yeah, he's going to rack up a lot of points. Yeah, if he can just stay away from Nam, fence him, be fast, be first, and be first, like where you know at least he's being first consistently enough to not get countered. Every single time, mm-hmm. I think he can do just enough to pull out a decision. Yeah, it's it's the kind of fight that will be exactly frustrating to those of us who want to see Tyson Nam succeed at this level because it's so fun to watch a pressure counter punching flyweight. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, his his style is just not made for this division and this level. And it's made for certain opponents at this level. Just, it is made for certain yeah. opponents, but it's just in general, it's very against the meta. It's limited, yeah. And I think Osborne can skate by it just on being a little more active, a little faster, a little rangier. And yeah, he'll get caught really hard a few times, but if he doesn't get knocked out, mm-hmm. I think he can skate away with the win. Yeah, I just think he might. I mean, I, I don't know how, yeah. how much you can put how much stock you can put in the fact that he has only been knocked out once when like it is flyweight. Yeah. Most people aren't gigantic punchers. Tyson Nam is a pretty serious puncher. It's true. He hits really hard for a flyweight. So it, it, if anybody could do it, it could be Tyson Nam. It's yeah. just, if anybody could lead, could lose a split decision where people uh-huh. are like, no, he won that because he landed the bigger shots. Yeah, for sure. It's Tyson Nam. <laughs> it's happened. Yeah. Yeah. Nam is the underdog here, opened at plus 185. He's currently up at plus 196. Ode Osborne opened at minus 220. He's currently minus 244. That's definitely too wide. This is mm-hmm. this to me has the kind of the look of a fight where we are arguing hard over what how judges follow criteria and whether damage is truly important, Absolutely. considering how hard that one guy got hit and the other, how much work the other guy did. Absolutely, yeah, classic. How are you? How are you feeling on the night, Mister Judge? Kind of decision. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in it. It's a, it's a good, it's a classic, 
uh, sort of style dynamic, and it's, it usually leads to some really interesting fights with uh, for Tyson Nam in particular. He has a lot of these fights where, and they've they've gone either way, you know. Yeah, he's had these fights where he's gotten the knockout. He's had them where he's won the close decision. He's lost plenty of those decisions too. Yep. All right. That brings us to a woman's catchweight bout: Angela Hill, Lupita Godinez. Why is this a catchweight? Do you know? Uh no. Let me see. Was it canceled? I think no. It was just booked straight out as a catchweight. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, did Godinez? Yeah, I'm not sure actually on that. Um, I haven't been paying atten- enough attention. Yeah, that's fine. I, w- I mean, I, yeah, it's fine if you don't know. I'm just just curious if there was a statement. Yeah, Godinez didn't. She didn't miss weight last time. No. In her last fight. They they, and they just agreed to it. Yeah, and Hill didn't miss weight last time. So, yeah, hopefully it was just a thing where they just agreed, hey, let's do a catchweight because why mm-hmm. not? Why cut? Yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I, I would like to see it a lot more often, frankly. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, Angela Hill, Lupi Godinez, and there's really one question to have in this fight. Mm-hmm. Can... Angela Hill stop Lupi Godinez from wrestling her. Yeah. Because if she can, then she can win. This is a very winnable fight if it stays standing. Because Godinez, all of her striking offense, she can she lands some heavy strikes, but it quickly becomes the the classic Vitor pump. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's just like rushing forward, both arms going one, two, one, two, one, two. Because all of her striking is made to chain into takedowns and made to chain into wrestling. Uh-huh. And when you can't defend her wrestling, like the the wrestling she did to Ar- Ariane Carnalossi, that was a clinic. It was not just like, oh, yeah, double leg, oh, yeah, body lock trip, head and arm throw, whatever. It was all these little, like... I'm going to tie up one arm and I'm going to foot sweep you and take you down. Oh no, I, this time I'm just going to drop for a single, turn the corner. This time I'm going to drop for a double and hit that. Yeah. Oh, you're getting up. I'm going to pick you up and, you know, suplex you. Oh, you you know, you're halfway up. I'm going to pull. It was just absolutely a full on technical wrestling clinic. Yeah. She's a blast to watch, man. She is. When she, when her game is working, it oh, is yeah. beautiful MMA. Firing on all cylinders. I really am upset, and also I'm, I enjoy the phrase "Vitor Pump." By the way, yeah, thank you. I was stuck on stuck on an image of like modern Vitor, like having you know polished his striking. Yeah, be, being shown a clip of the so-called Vitor Pump and saying in an Austin Powers voice, "It's not mine, baby," because <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to own the up. The bag ain't mine, baby. <laughs> he doesn't want to own up to the Vitor Pump. That's right. Oh, I'm sorry. I had to get that out of my head. I was not being, I was not able to focus on anything else. Anyway, um, yes, she's she's a blast. Her wrestling when it works is incredible. Her mat wrestling is such a joy to watch. It really is. But it has to be said, yeah, that she fell apart against Luana Carolina. Yeah, like it is impossible for me to reconcile the woman who beat Ariana Carnalasi in 2022 with yeah. the woman who lost to Luana Carolina six months earlier. No and I know that it was up a, div- up a division. I think it was short notice too. 
but it's still yeah it was like the week after her previous fight or something right yeah but it's still wild yeah because luana carolina is a defensive void in many ways yeah but a very instructive sort of uh loss from godinas because yeah. it, it gives you a really clear impression that like oh okay there's there are there aren't any many fail safes in your game yeah one Something cylinder stops, stops firing working. yeah, yeah. The whole thing falls apart, and so that's why I say with An- with Angela Hill, it's like, it's, a, it's like the uh, the Sergey Spivak fight mm-hmm. last week, where we're saying like, can uh, Augusto Sakai stop Sergey Spivak's takedown game? That's the only question to ask, right? And we said no, and the answer was no, and he couldn't, and he got dominated. And it's a question with Angela Hill because her takedown defense can be okay. She doesn't get taken down nearly as much as you would think from your memory. Not nearly as much as she used to either. I mean, she's yeah. definitely improved in that area specifically. But she still does always get taken down. Yeah. And so it really stays a question of like, man, what, you know, it, what is it... Like, how far can Codinez's game go here? And when it, if it gets stopped, because if it gets stopped, I think Hill, at this point, she's got the grit and the schooling and the concentration at this point that she's going to be able to pull away rounds late if Godinez stops being able to get taken down. That's the, that is the other thing, though, is that Hill has, she's still riding this line yeah, thinking she solved the issue where yeah. she starts way too hot, um, and then she can't really finish that strong. But she's still kind of there. It's it's an it, it's an it, improved it, version. She covers it, for it better. Yeah, she she looks more composed, but she has still had a lot of these fights recently, like that Lamosh fight, where you're like, oh no, Hill won, Hill won, and then you watch it back and you're like, she didn't really do a lot in the third round, did she? It's yeah. a serious drop-off in volume, and that, at the very least, has never been a problem for Godinez. She is going to keep working. She's a workhorse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. In, in, let's see, in her last two fights, let me see again if it's true in the Torres fight, too. Now, in the Torres fight, she actually did pick up every single round as it went on. Yeah. Um, Sometimes but, she has it if it's like a, yeah, but yeah, there's still too often to be ignored. Yeah, these fights it, where th- things are really crazy early and then her whether it's exhaustion or just overthinking or whatever but she just uh tapers off yeah it's it's weird because like her last round and her round five against angela or against michelle watterson she landed more strikes in that round than any other round of the fight yeah yeah second wind i guess but even but against, against like ashley yoder like but Yoder, Lemos, and Jan Jaroba, her second round of three was her busiest round in each fight. And then she dropped back off. That's a pretty standard pattern. It was that way in the Gadelia fight, too. It was, yeah, it's yeah. often the second round is where she peaks and then it. Although fades. she actually oh, she landed her most strikes in the third round of the Gadelia fight, actually. Interesting. Um, but I guess it helps yeah. when your opponent is even more prone to gassing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I 
I am going to trust that the size is the biggest factor for Godinez and why that Carolina fight got her, you know, just stopped working so well. Um, just because Luana Carolina, it, you know, let's see, she's... She's big. Yeah, she's 5'6", mm-hmm. and Godinez is 5'2". Mm-hmm. And Angela Hill's only 5'3", and she's not never been the strongest, most physical fighter. No. She's put a lot of effort into her strength and conditioning. You know, she's always posting yep. those booty pics and stuff on social media. Yep. But, um... You saw her in there against like John Jadova, and obviously John Jadova has a just a grappling skill advantage. But also, when they tied up, it was like, oh, she's way stronger than Angela. Yeah, it's always just been a problem for Hill, and I'm I'm just gonna pit, stick with that being the problem against Godinez. Godinez, when she is not, you know, when she's not at a size disadvantage, when she can control a clinch, or when she can just control the physicality of a clinch. She's going to be able to make her wrestling really quick. But if, yeah. I mean, Hill's a good clinch fighter. And if she can just chew Godinez up a little bit in the clinch and make mm-hmm. her not want to be there that much, she could turn this fight um, really against Godinez. Because, like I said, we've seen, we have seen a fight against a much worse, a much less collected fighter than Angela Hill for Godinez, where things just quit working. Yeah. I, you know, I think I might take Angela Hill here. Just yep. because Godinez's mat wrestling really impresses me. Yeah. I'm not sure how really phenomenally overwhelming her initial takedowns usually are. It's like once the scramble is initiated, then you, you're really impressed by how she connects things. I mean, she did, there was a moment in that Karnalasi fight where she slipped a punch. Yeah trapped the arm and just like tripped her instantly yeah yeah i mean there there is stuff that she can do standing for takedowns for sure but 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 they're usually takedowns out of the clinch are the ones she hits yeah and for john jadoba like if she wasn't so much stronger than angela i'm not sure she would have found that much success in those moments like yeah in fact even in that fight hill had quite a lot of success in the clinch she's just yeah Really solid there. Good uh, control of the arms. Uh, really good head position. Um, I just think she's difficult to like, yeah, to kind of like throw by and hip toss, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. There were occasions against John Jadova where it was actually like Hill who kind of won the takedown exchange and then just lost in the scramble afterwards. And that could happen against Godinez, but it, it's much clearer to see how John Jadoba just had her grappling style just had an effect where it's like, she's immediately attacking something and Hill had to like worry about losing a limb. Um, so yeah, I mean, who cares? I'll, I'll take Angela Hill. I think the fact that we're going to end up in so many clinches that Godinez herself isn't very big, uh, or strong in that, I know she's, you know, she's back down here at well, one twenty, not one fifteen, but just the the totality with which Luana Carolina was just simply big enough to shut her down mm-hmm. makes you think that somebody who's just a decent wrestler, um, and particularly in the phase where Godinez gets most of her takedowns is is gonna there's gonna be some problems. So I'll yeah. take Hill for the for the clinch. 
Yeah, I, it's it's a real question, and I'm I am fully prepared to see Hill ride this one out, but I'm just I'm too impressed by Godinez from last time, and I want to see that I want to see yeah, yeah. that progress continue. I want to see more of that, and I know that Hill will always, even in rounds she's doing really well, she will always leave openings for an opponent to Absolutely. figure out and implement their own game. Absolutely, yeah. Godina started opened at minus three sixty five. She's currently up at minus three twenty three. That line should definitely be getting shorter, unquestionably. Hill opened at plus three hundred. She's currently down at plus two fifty four. Hill is a fighter who, you know, she loses a lot. She's but, a tough out for everyone. Yeah, like she had a close fight with Amanda Lamos. She had a close fight with Tisha Torres. She had a close fight with Michelle Watterson. She had a close fight with. Claudia Gedelia, you know, and even her fights that against like uh, Yan Zhao Nan and uh, yeah, I mean even the John Jadova fight, she had lots and of the moments. Fight. Yeah, they're not they're not blowouts ever. And um, Godinez doesn't stop people. She yeah. doesn't have a great submission game. She doesn't have. She doesn't. She's interested enough in being a striker, just a striker, to knock anyone out. Mm-hmm. So she has to have everything clicking, or this fight's going to be probably going to have a lot of close moments. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. It's a good one. Yeah. All right, that brings us to a bantamweight fight. I didn't realize they were that uh, Yusuf Zalal was dropping until I just looked at it again. Mm. Yusuf Zalal, Damon Blackshear. And, speaking, uh, speaking of dropping, D- Damon Blackshear's nickname, Da Monster. <laughs> you say, which is, it's a great nickname. Yeah, it when, is. When you say it with his name, it reminds me of that that joke from Thirty Rock, where uh, where Tracy's wife says, "My album, my album is dropping, is dropping." <laughs> <laughs> the album's called "My Album Is Dropping." Great wordplay joke. Damon, yeah. Damonster, Blackshear has a bit of that. It also sounds, Phil said, this is like a D&D character name. Damon, Blackshear. It really is. It's just a great name. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like somebody saw the Blackshear is such a fantasy character name, but also like uh, somebody saw the word demon, and they're like, I'm going to just put an apostrophe it, in there, change very, one vowel. It's very fantasy buccaneer. Yeah, absolutely. This is a this is a fantasy pirate, one hundred percent. He's gonna lose to Yusuf Zalal, I think. Yeah, that's kind of my thought too. Zalal's back, baby. With the uh, we'll see. I mean, the I think it's pretty clear the man's confidence has been shaken. Yeah, but um, and and we're making a weight class change, and that's always you know it's like a it's first of all that's a clear sign that his confidence is shaking. This is a thing. Mm-hmm. MMA fighters only do this when they're very distressed, you know, yep. <laughs> it's that kind of thing. That sort of animal behavior that fighters have where, uh, oh, God, I need to find some advantage. What's getting better at skill is hard. Let's change weight classes. Will losing 10 pounds turn me into a juggernaut? Right, exactly. <laughs> but whether it does or not, um, Zalal's, the bare bones of Zalal's game seem perfectly suited to beating Blackshear, specifically the wrestling. Yeah. Blackshear is just way too easy to take down. 
and not nearly urgent enough at getting back to his feet. I mean, when he gets a super active scramble, he he can be really impressive. But once he hits his back, he accepts the position. And that's not a good thing, not a good trait to have against Saul. Which is interesting, though, because a lot of the core of why Blackshear wins is his, his, is his wrestling as well. And it's, yeah, exactly. It's his top yeah. game. Yeah, and he's and he's he's almost he's got a, a shade of like Colby Covington, like where he's he's really aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wants to take you down. He also wants to hit you. He'll he'll come in super hard with 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 really heavy punches. But yeah, like Colby, it's like the defensive aspect of every part of his game just isn't there. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense to me that he's a Jackson Wink guy. Yeah, because um, his striking is also just very. Because the other thing to me is that I don't even know if it's the wrestling. It could easily just be the striking if the law doesn't let Blackshear take sure. him down. Yeah. Blackshear is a is he's a very select the slight strike Jackson Wink kind of striker. For sure. Or it's just like, oh, here's a wheel kick. Here's a right hand. Here's a body kick. Or here's a stomp to your knee. You know? Yeah. And yeah. just one one idea at a time. The law, I mean, he he ran up against a, a wall that I think we kind of always saw coming for him which is just that he's a jack of all trades master of none right it's like oh wow you're a pretty decent striker and a pretty decent wrestler and a pretty decent grappler yeah but you're not a lockdown version of any of these and you're not an out of this world athlete yeah and so you know you fight Ilya Tapuria you fight Sungwoo Choi you fight Sean Woodson all of these people who have singular deep skills that they can draw on or multiple deep skills they can draw on. And he just couldn't, he couldn't find ways to stay competitive in those fights. Mm-hmm. But I don't, we don't see that. I don't see that out of Blackshear. He seems like he's also kind of a Jack of all trades, master of none. And it's just kind of at a lower level. It's yeah, one strike at a time. It's yeah. a takedown that turns into a scramble. Like, he gets a lot of takedowns. So, so Lawless has got a, a little more mastery in every one of those phases. Yeah, and I think he can just edge out the experience, edge out the the technical ability in those situations. But it could also be a very messy fight, because, like I say, Zalal is not, he's not a physical phenom. He's not going to overwhelm anybody with his... Well, I mean, we'll see at 135. He's he's pretty good size for a bantamweight, so... Yeah, but, but Blackshear it, is too. Like, that's... I remember the same height, one I of, think. Yeah. One of the things they noted on, like, Blackshear's... I watched his last uh, CFFC fight, and they're like, man, he looks like he's a he's a weight class bigger than his opponent. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's, he's a 5'10 bantamweight, so mm-hmm. both of them will be very large bantamweights, but I think that that more than anything probably works against Blackshear, who was used to that being a big part of how his wrestling game functioned. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Zalal is used to being kind of a scrappy featherweight and having to scrap his way through everything. And I think you know that he'll have a he'll be more attuned to scrapping through what Blackshear does, but without giving Blackshear the size to manhandle him. All right. Odds for that fight. The Lawl is the favorite, not by a lot. Opened at minus 170, dropped, jumped up to minus 110, currently minus 126. Blackshirt opened at plus 145, dropped down to minus 110, currently at plus 103. Um, I get it. The Lawl's on a losing streak. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't think Blackshear looks like any of the people that have beaten Salal. Ilya Tapuria, Sung Woo Choi, Sean Woodson, I think they're all more dangerous, dynamic fighters mm-hmm. than Blackshear. Um, but, you know, Blackshear's also not an... He's not an easy fighter to just put away, if, especially if you're not going to be a way better wrestler. I would say his loss to Chris Moutinho is... It's a big caution for this bout. Yeah. Even if it came several years ago. All right. That brings us to a two fights that we discussed last week. Right. The first one, now a catchweight at 180 pounds, Jason Witt, Josh Quinlan. And, uh, yeah, my feelings on this haven't really changed, which is just that Witt is a very functional wrestle boxer, but he's not fast. And he has to really be able to put a grind on people and trap them because he's very chinny. And I think Quinlan seems like somebody who keeps his head pretty well and throws a lot of power and is a very comfortable in-the-pocket puncher. And he can use that. Even if Quinlan, even if Wick could potentially drag him into deep water where he's not used to, I think... Quinlan can just use his raw sort of gutsy pocket punching determination to land the kind of shots that Witt can't take. So I'm taking Quinlan. Yeah, same. I thought actually, I thought I had heard when it got canceled that uh, Quinlan had popped for another steroid. No, I mean, I think I will be the person who is, I will be on the fight. Mostly I just don't care about steroid shit. It's just not that interesting to me. Yeah. I don't think it's a major part of this sport and I don't think it's, Oh, I mean, I think it is, but well, I mean, I, I think I it's universally it's, a major part of the sport. Sure, and it's not, you not worth. I don't think it's a major dynamic in who's winning and losing fights. Out no, there. no, no, no. It's not worth. Uh, I mean, you don't know anyway. It's too big an yeah. X factor. It's not worth thinking about, and you just yeah. have to assume many of the really good fighters are using them. Yeah. Am I going to say, oh, the wrestler, the the American, you know wrestler out of kansas city never took steroids yeah right exactly every 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 guy who wanted to be on the wrestling team in my high school was taking steroids yeah exactly yeah um but it's pretty i think it's pretty clear with quinlan that he's he it's metabolites it's the pulsing thing where he took he took drostanolone and it stays in your system long term and so he's having he, he he popped for a pulsing metabolite from his last failed drug test, and I think it's pretty stupid, honestly, that Nevada pulled him from that card, considering that they're the ones that suspended him the first time mm-hmm. for this. Mm. And so they should absolutely be prepared for the idea that like you suspended this guy for a drug that you know pulses, and you know is gonna show up again in his system sometime down the down the road you should be testing him in the interim to the point that you feel comfortable with that idea mm-hmm. and they pulled him from that card it's just like well why 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 wouldn't you be prepared for this why would you not be ready for this guy that you punished for a drug you know stays in your system to have the drug still in his system and from That's, a from a bureaucracy as functional as the uh, Nevada State Athletic Commission really shocking yeah no i know but still it's Uh it's just it feels stupid to me it feels 
no, I'm not needlessly way. cautious. Like, yeah, you, of course he has this thing in his system. You caught him with it, and he admitted to it. Like, yeah. what do you want? You know? So, um, yeah. Yeah, no, no, I'm not casting any judgments. I mean, I, there's every... Yeah possibility that jason witt has been on steroids for years and you know it's it's just a common thing in in all professional sports yeah um yeah i'm taking quinlan too he's just witt is just too unreliable too fragile quinlan seems competent everywhere he's a phenomenal athlete with or without substances and uh yep same pick yep uh odds are jason witt is a sizable underdog open at plus 210 currently plus 203 Josh Quinlan up at minus 250. He's currently down at minus 254. All right. That brings us to Ariane Lipsky, Priscilla Cachoeira. Now at women's bantamweight. I oh. They just bumped it up a division because they don't want fighters having to make extreme cuts two weeks in a row. Mm. Um, and especially after, I think it was Lipsky who... Oh, Lipsky missed weight. Bad cut. She didn't miss weight, but her cut was bad enough that she had to get pulled off the card. The topology oh. note says Libsky not medically cleared after missing weight. Oh, okay. So she did miss weight. I thought she then... weighed in like two and a half pounds over. Okay. Yeah. So a weight miss not big enough for anybody to care about, except that then she couldn't get medically cleared. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I have the same pick. Like, uh huh. Lipsky's just. She's technically better everywhere. She might have exactly the kind of fight that Priscilla Cachoeira wants to have and yeah. needs to have to win, but I still think Lipsky can win that fight because she's a better puncher. Yeah, we're, we're supposing she's technically better. We're hoping that we can project what we saw in the last fight forward um, in which she instantly becomes like a possible contender yep. She's because she's always been a solid athlete. She's aggressive. She's tough. She hits hard. She's well-rounded. But she's, well, you know, somewhat well-rounded, but she's you know, always been too much of a mess to consistently yeah. win. She's got, she's had no self-control. That's what we saw in that last fight was really like exceeding self-control. Yeah. Um, but I think we both said last week that even if it was the old version of Lipsky, it'd probably still be tempted to pick her here because, you know, she, she's a brawler who's faster and, and opponent doesn't wrestle like Cashware doesn't exactly for takedowns. She's just going to have a one note brawl with someone who's just a little slower and more hittable than her in that kind of fight. Yeah. So classic Lipsky, new Lipsky. I'm picking her either way. Yeah. And she's a sizable, a healthy favorite here. Open at minus 185, currently down at minus 196. Cashware opened at plus 160, currently at plus 161. All right, on that note, we're going to wrap things up. You can find me on Twitter at DZangTime. You can find Connor on Twitter at BoxingBush. You can find both of us over at BloodyOla.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast, Bloody Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And we'll be back in one week's time for UFC 278, Usman versus Edwards 2. See you all then. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. 
Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents, and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, The Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter, at Bloody Elbow, Facebook, at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com.